0: Welcome to the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. We'd like to start off by saying how gratified we are by the many positive responses we've received since launching the Model Railway Show. If you're a new listener, we'll remind you that you can catch up on our previous programs by clicking through the archives on our website or by visiting iTunes. Each time we visit, we'll have at least two special guests to inform and entertain you, That's certainly the case today as we speak with Model Railroader Magazine's Tony Custer and Byron Henderson of the Layout Design Journal. Both have a lot to say so we won't keep them or you waiting.
1: Here's Jim with our first guest. Model Railroader Magazine contributing editor Tony Custer is a man who requires no introduction to most. But just in case you're new to the hobby, here's a quick profile. Tony was editor of Railroad Model Craftsman back in the 70s, raising the editorial standards of that publication. After leaving RMC in 1981, he went to work for Bell Labs and successor companies, first in technical documentation, then as founding editor of the corporate science magazine, and finally as anchor of the corporate television network and a director of corporate communications. While still at that job, he started writing his column, Trains of Thought for Model Railroader, in 1985. In 1995, he became the founding editor of MR's annual Model Railroad Planning. Along the way, he's written numerous books for Comback Publishing, most recent being Model Railroading from Prototype to Layout. Tony co-founded the Nickel Plate Historical and Technical Society, and although he advanced the art of prototype-based freelancing of model railroads with his famed Allegheny Midland, about 10 years ago, the call of the Nickel Plate became too strong. Tony said goodbye to his imaginary friend, the AM, and started modeling his favorite real railroad. Tony is also among a select few to be a two-time winner of the National Model Railroad Association's Distinguished Service Award. Tony is also the NMRA's at-large director worldwide. We could talk to Tony Cusker about so many things, but recently, in the November 2010 MR, he marked the 25th anniversary of his always well-written and thought-out Trains of Thought column. Before that silver anniversary fades too quickly into the past, we'd like him to train his thoughts on trains of thought. Tony Custer, welcome to the show, 25 years and counting.
2: Well, thanks very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
1: Did you picture such a long run when you pitched the idea of a monthly column to Model Railroader?
2: Well, I don't think I thought that far ahead, but one thing I did do was send uh, Russ Larson, who was the editor then, a dozen or so sample columns so that he wouldn't be worrying about whether I could meet deadlines.
1: That's the mark of a pro. That's your uh, media experience with Bell, right?
2: Well, it's also uh, being in the editor's seat at RMC and now Model Railroad Planning. uh, There's nothing worse than having something that happens every month that uh, is slowed down by somebody who doesn't meet a deadline and... I'd be the last person not to meet a deadline.
1: That's yeah, why editors have short fingernails, I think. It was uh, thoughtful to include a copy of the original Trains of Thought column because it fittingly told quite a funny story about your good friend and noted modeler, Alan McClelland. Uh, I thought it really set the tone for what was to follow. Do you, do you want to share a bit of that? That was Alan in his, uh, un, his uh, freshly excavated basement drawing out a track plan in the dirt.
2: Yeah, that uh, well, actually, that was both of us. Uh, Alan uh, had uh, expanded the V&O a couple of times, and I had learned a great deal from uh, getting to know him in September of 1970 at NMRA Regional. And when I built our home that I still live in in 73, the basement literally was uh, a sand at that time. The concrete hadn't been floored uh, poured yet and for the floor, and I had sketched out a plan, and I actually drew the thing in the sand with a
1: Well, I suppose someone as well connected in the hobby as you are, Tony, is never going to run out of people stories to tell. Uh, I note that you used your 25th anniversary uh, to gently out a few of the rogues who plagued you over the years. That wasn't about getting even, was it?
2: I hope not, uh, but I know a lot of my operating crew, whenever something goes wrong, they, they give me this woeful look, and they say, you know, I, I'm going to be written up, aren't I? And they don't mean uh, getting demerits. They mean they're going to be a, uh, an anecdotal example in one of the future columns. But I've never had a problem finding material for columns. Model railroaders are very interesting people. We cut across all the demographics from profession to age, and there's always a story if you just look for it.
1: Well, and you keep it even, Stephen. By, uh, or, or even Tony, maybe uh, by including yourself as the butt of some of your jokes, right?
2: Well, I'm an easy fall guy. I think if you ever looked at my fingers when I'm working with an exacto knife, you'll find a lot of band-aids. And so when you have that kind of an aptitude or lack thereof, I I become my own butt of a joke now and then as well.
1: What sort of modeler gives you the best stories to tell?
2: Well, I think somebody who's got a lot of an imagination because they're they're the ones who are setting the trends. And uh, I won't start naming names because there's so many people who have done so much for the hobby. But the real privilege of being a magazine editor is that you have a way of meeting these people and getting to know them. Uh, another great way is to go to conventions and and uh, like the prototype modelers conventions, NMRA conventions, that kind of thing. And, and having your own model railroad, you get a lot of very bright people that are attracted to it. And uh, there's always somebody there that's got a bright idea or tells a funny story or looks at things a little differently and that makes for good column material.
1: Yeah, I think you make a good point about getting to the conventions. Uh, they, along with the submitted material. That's really the oxygen that magazines run on, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. I mean, if, if we don't meet the people firsthand that, that help us so much put out a magazine, I mean, you don't want a magazine that's the same guy writing every month. Uh, all the stories are even the same handful. You want a good variety of people. And one of the best ways to meet them is to get out and get under, like Henry Ford said, and, and actually meet these people. And one of the, the magnets is an NMRA convention or a prototype modelers convention. And I try to go to quite a few of those. In fact, I got to 27 states and four countries in in 2010 so far, and uh, most of those were related to model railroading one way or another. So you do get to meet a lot of good folks.
1: So what you're saying is you're paying for Christmas with your frequent flyer miles, is that it?
2: <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, I'm going to have to start cashing some of those in. The airlines are making them kind of hard to use. I wish I had that many Amtrak miles.
1: <laughs> Uh, What are some of the big things that have changed the hobby since you started writing Trains of Thought? I mean, 25 years for guys our age doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess it is.
2: Yeah, it really is. I thought after I finished the Allegheny Midland, at least to the point where I thought it was pretty much fully amortized and started all over doing prototype modeling, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I thought I knew it all. I mean, here I'd been uh, building this railroad and operating it for 25 years, and I'd hand laid the track, and I had uh, been a magazine editor and I had connections and I was talking to the brightest and the best in the hobby and this was going to be no sweat. And I discovered that I didn't know anything. Everything had literally changed. Probably the most remarkable change was a digital command control. But we did have command control back when I had the Allegheny Midland. I used Dynatrol mm-hmm. from Power Systems Incorporated. Yeah. It was a good analog system but then uh, and it had good steam sound and I used that because I really feel that sound adds a tremendous tremendous... tremendous dimension, but... With DCC, we got diesel sound, and we got uh, whistles and bells, and we use uh, whistle signals, for example, in operation in that. They're not just toys. It's not just background. It's part of the, the hobby. So I, I would have to say that DCC is one of the bigger changes in the hobby over the last quarter century. That was an interesting
1: point you made. As a magazine editor, it's almost required you tear up a layout just to try the new stuff, isn't it? That's uh,
2: <laughs> hanging <laughs> <No>. over <you. laughs> no. Jim Kelly uh, is now retired, but he was the managing editor at Model Railroader when I decided to take the railroad down, and his only reaction was, oh, good, we've got something for new stories <laughs> here, a new basis for new stories.
1: Uh, nice to have so you, of the...
2: <laughs> You can see how editors yeah. think. Oh, indeed. Well,
1: Tony, when I was preparing for this, I, I pulled some past issues of MR at random and reread your columns. I noticed a word that popped up more than once, the word truth. Model railroaders are seekers of truth, but the truth they find may leave them unsatisfied with their past efforts. Can you explain?
2: Well, There's a lot of ramifications of that word truth, and and I think that one of the great things about the hobby is that very few of us have an ax to grind, and and we're really looking for truth, and I think that uh, one of the most interesting things about this is that the point I've made recently is that in searching for truth or information or the right way or, or a good way or whatever is that I think model railroaders are now doing more research and more finding out of factual information about the past than any other rail hobby group, including the, you know, the rail fans, because we're asking all of the questions. It's no longer enough to know how long a boxcar is or what type of door was on a- a car yeah, or a roof or something. We now want to know what each industry shipped and what kind of cars and where was the stuff going and where were they getting the raw material. And it suddenly made uh, finding the truth and uh, a very important thing. But even more, I guess, to the point is just integrity, and that is that you won't find a better bunch of people than model air as a whole. They come together for a very noble purpose, and and there's just not the, uh, well, let's say, competition. There's a little bit of it. I mean, in a model contest, for example, but, you know, everything's done above board, and I think that people like Hal Carson's and uh, Al Kalmbach set a, a tone for the hobby with the publications, and I've just been very privileged to work for those two companies.
1: Tony, we could talk for such a long time, but we're just about out of it. Uh, very, very quickly, uh, will we see a book of your columns uh, sometime from Comeback?
2: Well, I propose taking some of the better columns and illustrating them. We do run a small photo, but there's, uh, let's say that you used one page for photo and one page for copy. But we've got a lot of book ideas in the, in the works. Uh, next thing coming up, I'll give you a hint, deals with modeling mountain railroading. That's not what I'm doing now, but it is what I have done. So maybe be down the line a ways, but it's not scheduled for anything in the short term. But thanks for asking.
1: Tony Custer of Model Railroad Magazine, thanks for chatting with us here on the Model Railway Show.
2: It's been a pleasure, Jim. Look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: You bet.
0: Thanks, Jim. We'll be having Tony back on the show fairly soon in the new year to
1: talk about that big annual event, the latest issue of Model Railroad Planning. Right, Trevor. And you folks out there may be noticing a pattern in our early shows. We are hosting a lot of magazine editors and we'll be having yet another one on our next show. It just seemed like a good way to launch the model railway show by paying homage to publications that have given us so much inspiration over the years. But the list of interviews Trevor and I are compiling range far beyond this hobby's editorial offices, as you'll see in shows to come. Absolutely. We'd also like to make the
0: observation that no one has yet refused us an interview. The big names in this hobby. Are the ones who give back,
1: so thanks to all. Speaking of publications, there's one out there that may be under the radar of some of you, but we're going to try to help change that situation. We're talking about the Layout Design Journal. Here's Trevor in conversation with its new editor, Byron Henderson. Some model railway enthusiasts are strictly model builders. If trains didn't
0: exist, they'd be building models of cars, boats, or planes, or something else. But for the rest of us, the ultimate goal in this hobby is to have a satisfying layout a place to see our models come to life. But if you're like me, you've built more than a few layouts that did not live up to your expectations, and the problem can probably be traced to bad design choices. As with everything else in life, good design plays a key role in the success of a model railroad, and that's what the Layout Design Special Interest Group, or LD-SIG, is all about. The LD-SIG's many activities include the publication of the Layout Design Journal. The SIG recently hired a well known professional layout designer and author as the journal's newest editor. That person is Byron Henderson, and he's here to tell us about his plans for the journal. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, Byron.
3: Thank you, Trevor. It's uh, great to be here.
0: Now, many listeners will be unfamiliar with the LD SIG and with the journal. What's the magazine about, and who's going to find it useful?
3: It's a good question. The layout design SIG itself is um, a group that's been around since about 1982. And the journal is the publication and for a while was almost the only um, sort of evidence of the SIG's existence. The journal is a combination of sort of layout design stories, Um, maybe picking up, here's a a piece of the real-life prototype railroad and how to model it, and also sort of more theoretical or a little bit more abstract discussions of layout design best principles. So it's a combination of that, plus there's a little bit of the house newsletter aspect to it, where we talk about upcoming events at conventions, which have become much more important um, in the last uh, 10 or 20 years, as well as regional meetings and things of that nature. So it's it's a good mix, but we try to really focus on layout design best principles and things that people will um, be able to use on their own uh, layouts and in their own work. I suspect that many people just don't
0: realize how influential this magazine has been on our hobby. Can you give me an example of a, an element of layout design that's maybe now quite commonplace but was pioneered in the journal?
3: You know, it's a very good question, and I think the influences are more subtle. I think you can point to things like multi-decks and... Uh, um, Helix uh, use and so on, and that certainly has been. Ex- in the journal, but it maybe started somewhere else. I think one of the things that the journal really has brought to the fore is the idea of um, how you design the layout with the end in mind. In other words, if this is going to be a model rail fanning layout, what are the aspects of that? Um, if it's going to be for operations, what elements do you need to focus on? So I think it's more of uh, this idea of taking the end goal as um, kind of a, a, a touchstone or a benchmark that you can measure your work. In the, uh, in the design process against. So I, I don't think there are any great breakthroughs. Certainly the more and more focus on real-life railroads as a model, as a, as a guideline, is something we find focused on a lot in the back issues of the journal, but there's probably no great transcendental moment that we can point to.
0: Now, the the journal's publication schedule has been a little bit erratic over the past few years. That's uh, very uh, kind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And uh, I know I certainly look forward to it every month, and then I look forward to it again and again and again. But uh, (laughs) it it is the most substantial benefit of membership in the SIG, and the organization must be really keen to see it get back on track. It used to have a very reliable schedule, and it's kind of fallen off. What are some of the challenges you face there, and how are you going to address those?
3: Well, that's an excellent question, and I hope we have some of the answers. Um, I think it is important that we get back on a regular publication schedule. One of the real challenges has been with an all-volunteer operation that life happens to people, and it is not always possible for an editor to move things along as quickly as they hope. Um, Now, in my role as, I wouldn't call myself a professional editor, as sort of a semi-professional editor, I think I have the ability to really focus on It. Um, As you know, I was editor of the um, LD SIG publications before from about 1995 or 96 to 2001, and it was a challenge. I had a full time plus job at the time and family duties and so on. And unfortunately, now I'm a consultant in my sort of day job, and so I'm able to put a lot more focus on this. So I think that focus is number one. Number two, just the amount of material that we need to fill four issues a year, quarterly issues a year. Um, is sometimes hard to come by. I think that when people see the the journal being published more regularly, they'll be more inclined to contribute. So hopefully that helps. As well, a big part of my job is going out and soliciting material from people, tracking down authors, and um, sort of recruiting people that aren't necessarily SIG members. A lot of material to date has come from SIG members, um, and we may need to broaden that net a little bit because some people aren't necessarily interested in or capable of authoring. They want to read it. Uh, and so we need to find material maybe outside the ranks of membership as well.
0: When the journal launched in uh, in the early eighties, it pretty much stood alone as the source of layout design information. Now we've got a lot of sources for that. There's competing publications, or maybe not competing, just different publications. And uh, obviously, the the uh, internet is a great source of layout design information, including the layout design SIG zone news group. How do you plan to make the journal stand out from that other source uh, or those other sources so that it it really continues to be an essential publication for anyone interested in how to design a good layout?
3: Well, that's an excellent question and a, a good challenge for us. I think you know, Model Railroad Planning, MRP, did not exist when uh, the journal started in 1982. In fact, I think for MRP's first issue was 1995. And prior to that time, Tony Custer and um, others that have uh, published a lot in MRP, including myself, actually used the journal to get their information out. And now there are very many other... And varied, you know, means to to get an article out. I think what we're going to try to focus on is ideas, you know, in MRP, I think you see the the what of layout design, maybe even the how of layout design to a a minor degree. What we're going to see in the journal is more the why. Why do you make these choices? How do you translate something from an idea and a concept, maybe a real-life railroad as inspiration? Why do you make certain trade-offs? Why do you make certain compromises? So I think it's, um, I don't want to give ourselves too much credit and say it's a graduate level course or something like that, but I think it is a bit more um, theory into practice where something like MRP, which is a terrific publication, I've contributed um, to it several times and enjoy being published in it and enjoy reading it, it's got to sell on a newsstand, it's got to be a little flashier, it's got to be a better visual presentation, and I think they do a combat does a great job of all of that. But I think we can take the time to explore something in a little more depth with a little less flash, and hopefully that will meet a lot of people's needs. We'll still have some, you know, here's Joe's layout uh, story, but to as great a degree as we can, I'd like to focus on really the theory behind it, the layout design, best practices behind it, and, and get to more of that why? It almost sounds as if the uh,
0: as if model railroad planning is a great way to encourage people to take layout design issues seriously. And then once they do and realize what sort of value they can get out of it, that they can join the SIG and, and get the journal for even more information.
3: Yeah, I hope it's our gateway drug. I really do.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
3: And I hope we get it four times a year. <laughs> yes, that's, that is a very key goal. And I think from that, a lot will happen. I, I really believe and the Layout Design SIG board. The Layout Design SIG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, and we have an educational goal that we have to meet, uh, sort of a a purpose that we have to live up to. And I I think as we continue to explore getting the journal out more often, we'll be able to start moving it more and more in that direction. And I think it will be something people see as they see it more regularly. I I hope it does boost LD SIG membership.
0: Byron, thanks for joining us today on the Model Railway Show. My pleasure. Trevor, thank you very much. Byron Henderson is the new editor of the Layout Design Journal, the magazine of the Layout Design Special Interest Group.
1: Well, that's it for this time around, folks. Thanks for joining us here on The Model Railway Show. We'll remind you to check our website at themodelrailwayshow.com for links relating to the conversations you've just heard. Next time we meet, we'll be asking you
0: to get real as we discuss the subject of realism when designing our layouts and the models that run on them. Jim will be talking with Bill Schomburg, editor of Railroad Model Craftsman, about the growing popularity of prototype modeling meets. I'll chat with author and layout designer Lance Mindeim about focused realism when designing one's layout and working to create
1: an achievable layout. Till next time, I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Thanks to Chris Abbott, our technical director, Dave Woodhead for the original music, and our web designer, Otto Vondrack. And thanks to you also for taking the time to visit us here on The Model Railway Show.